2: Putt is a not-for-profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady, abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect American patients, healthcare providers, and taxpayers. On the Puttcast, we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts, influencers, and patients, always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis.
3: Welcome to the newest episode of the PuttCast, brought to you by Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. I'm Lauren Young. I am one of the board members of Putt. I am pleased to be joined tonight by our executive director, Monique Whitney. And we have an excellent panel lined up to talk about that dirty little word, D-I-R, that every pharmacist and provider knows all too well.
0: Thank you so much for being our host tonight. And yeah, DIR has definitely become a a dirty word, and I think a, a traumatic nightmare for just about everyone who would be listening to this podcast.
3: Absolutely, it's only gotten worse in the last few years. I know that pharmacists are working harder than ever, and they're not getting anywhere to show for it, unfortunately, but we are on a mission to change that. And I think the panelists we have assembled tonight are perfect in this battle against DIR so I'm going to introduce Dr. Michael Diaz he's the immediate past president of the Community Oncology Alliance and he's the current Assisting Managing Physician of the Florida Cancer Specialists welcome Dr. Diaz hello thank you we're so excited you were able to join us tonight we also have Mark Cucker. He is of counsel with the Jacobs Law Firm, and you might recognize his name as the attorney who has taken on hundreds of pharmacy personnel and cases to try to help independent pharmacies fight against PBMs in various court battles. Welcome.
1: Hi everybody, good to be here.
3: And we have Byron Berry. He's the president of Pharmacy Plus Incorporated, and he's an independent pharmacist in central Illinois. Welcome Byron.
2: Well, thank you, Lauren. Uh, Glad to be here um, and still able to fight the DMs.
0: (laughs) We're really thrilled to have all of you here with us because this is such an important topic. Uh, As you all know, uh, because you've been dealing with DIR fees, direct and indirect remuneration fees, uh, they're getting worse and recently, the National Community Pharmacists Association announced that they are going to take on the issue of DIR fees. So they filed a lawsuit, and CPA versus Azar. Uh, but one of the things that we know is that there's not a lot of complete or comprehensive understanding about DIR fees. Wouldn't you say that's the case, Lauren?
3: Absolutely. I think there's a lot of gray area. I think that pharmacies see DIR fees taken out of their... Reimbursements, and they aren't quite sure what they're going towards. They just know that they're not helping patients.
1: Let yeah, me, it's can definitely. I it's present un- a question right now, which is um, maybe it's out of turn, but when they take the money back, how often do they actually call it DIR fees? How often do they call it something else? Because I've I've heard lately that they're not even using the term anymore. My is that wrong?
3: No, I like uh-huh. that question mark. That's really great to bring up. I know that Deb, one of our board members in Minnesota has mentioned that they kind of just moved the target, I think it was Prime Therapeutics, said they're no longer calling them DIR fees so that when there are DIR fee laws on the books, they can say, oh, don't worry, we don't have DIR fees. We call them adjustment fees or transmission fees or other fees. And so they kind of found a loophole already. So I think that's a great question that we can ask Byron and
2: bring up yeah, tonight. I, um, I have conversations with my uh, executive secretary, I'll call her. She's my right-hand person and, and extremely important. Um, I'm not sure how they show up on the statements, but um, they just reach in every month and take money away. And um, You know, there's no explanation. You'll get the summary from Caremark um, once or twice a year, and um, you have to learn how to decipher that to figure out what they're doing, and and you still don't know how they come up with um, the amounts they take back.
4: Yeah, uh, we're still seeing them at least on the Uh, I guess you say the oncology specialty side, we're still still seeing it called as DIR fees. It's only impacting our Part D uh, plans. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they can do it legally under the guise of DIR fees without having to worry about anything because they're protected by the Medicare Modernization Act in all reality. So yeah, they haven't changed the names on us, at least on those plans. Um, DIR fees,
2: when they were put into the MED-D program in 2003 were meant to be incentive payments, not clawback, will take money away from providers, um, and that's what they've turned into.
3: Oh, absolutely. Mark, I'm going to have you, um, I'm going to ask you the legal definition of DIR fees real quick, okay. and then I, we can get to that discussion. I think that'll kind of jump off.
1: Okay. Well, uh, you know. Okay. Um, I don't have the actual statutory definition in front of it, but let me just, let me just, what the concept was this a Stanford directed indirect remuneration. The idea was to give Uncle Sam and the consumer the benefit of every rebate discount of any kind. As we know, there's massive rebates from manufacturers. That's actually the biggest DIR, is those, the manufacturer rebates. Um, but they also included the word pharmacy price concessions were considered as dir and they are unique to medicare as dr diaz said They're they would not be legal at least uh in the ordinary sense of the word they wouldn't be uh they'd be very questionably legal if they weren't within this medicare statute and being within the medicare statute it gives uh, a federal immunity to any attack on the DIR fee under state law, at least potentially. So for instance, South Dakota passed a law making DIR fees illegal, PACMA took them to federal court and uh, they they won uh, on the appeal to say that Medicare law did not let North Dakota stop these DIR fees. the intention was a good one, which is to try to give the consumers the benefit of, give them the, benefit of the lowest cost. But what it wound up to is creating a multi-billion dollar loophole for PBMs to gouge pharmacies. They call it a DIR fee or they call it something else. They take back money, what, when they, whatever they want, when they want, with as little explanation as possible, which is a complete and total disgrace. Contrary to any basic notion of contract law uh, and transparency. There is next to no transparency on DIR fees. So um, now to maintain this guise of directed and indirect remuneration, what they have to say, and this is the focus of this NCPA case and some other things, is it cannot, it's, it's a contingent fee. It cannot be reasonably ascertained at the point of sale. Um, Now that's BS, but by, by calling it that, they take themselves off the hook of having to give the benefit of the consumer. So they can, because they don't assess it at the point of sale, because they assess it three months later, because they go through the ruse of saying, well, we have to look at performance and we don't know what the performance is gonna be. So we're gonna decide three months from now. And because we're taking it three months from now, Therefore, we don't have to pass it through to the consumer. Now it's ours and now they can play their games with it. Um, That is that is the single biggest problem. And the reason I call it a ruse is that in many cases, probably most cases, and you folks probably know this better than I can, better than I do. Even if you are perfect, you will get hit with a DIR fee. Now, if it's really performance based, then if you're perfect, you shouldn't have to pay anything, right? Uh, and and and, generally, and again, you folks know this better than I do. What I've seen is the difference between being perfect and being lousy is not that great. Like at perfect, you get a significant percentage knocked off. You may get, I'm just picking numbers out of thin air. You can you can correct me. Seven percent taken off if of you're perfect. Eight percent if you're not so perfect. Ten percent if you're lousy. You know, which is mm-hmm. ridiculous. So obviously, that 7% is guaranteed. And in my view, that creates incredible abuse. It is mind boggling to me that CMS has tolerated this now for six or seven years. They have issued reports analyzing this, showing how many billions of dollars are being lost, how much this hurts the consumer, how much this is being abused, and yet they have not move themselves to do anything. And that's why we're having this discussion.
3: Absolutely, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's loopholes involved that should have been closed or figured out by now through CMS actions. And uh, it's taking a group of us, loud pharmacists and providers, really getting in there and educating and advocating for this change. Now, on that point, Dr. Diaz, I think it is amazing that we're able to get the oncologists involved in this because we work as partners with oncologists. And the fact that your office is able to see the fees and see that taken away, because once independent pharmacies go away, they're coming after providers. The PBMs know they're not going to lose their profits. They're just gonna find another person, another bucket to take it from. So what do you see in your practice on a daily basis regarding DIRs?
4: Well, I'll answer that one after I just embellish a little bit more on the point that um, Mark was making. Um, So our specialty pharmacies typically deal only with the oral oncolytics. Um, We don't manage blood pressure. We don't provide blood pressure medications. uh, We don't provide medication for diabetes or cholesterol. Mm -hmm. We just don't. We focus on our um, specialty specific medications uh so that we can try to make sure that we're taking the best care that we can for our patients by having a clinically integrated pharmacy network okay now with that being said just to embellish a little bit more and give you an idea of the ludicrousy behind how these dirps work when we started noticing several years ago we just saw that they were dirps it's like why are we all of a sudden now paying um or not getting reimbursed anywhere depending upon the contract, maybe three to five to seven, and it's been growing more percent, we're having a deduction. We didn't know why, you know? And so we called up one of the pharmacy benefit managers and we asked them, you know, why are we getting these deducted? Said, well, you didn't need quality measures. It's like quality measures, we weren't providing you with any data. How could you have quality measures? And they said well you know that's true and essentially this is the just the conversation i'm oversimplifying quite a bit they said well um you know we don't have quality measures and so we measured your patients the ones that you take care of um, and provide the oral oncology medications for we measured their adherence to antihypertensives know, cholesterol medications diabetes medications and you know they were all compliance. So we couldn't use that data. We couldn't use that data. Um, We applied the averages for the Southwest region of Florida to your patients and you didn't meet quality measures. And so that DIR fee is based on those numbers and that's what we were told. Okay, so it had nothing to do with the quality of the care. In fact, when you look at it, a lot of these quality measures are what determined by uh, PQA and PQA they don't even have any oncology-specific or oncology-focused um, measures. And we've even asked them about it. So yeah, we don't have anyone that's familiar with that. you know. So yes, we are trying to educate them and work with them. But that just goes to the ludicracy of what uh, you know, can, Mark was
1: can saying. I, can I just follow up with a question? Because I, I want to learn today too, I don't um, I have heard that DIR fees are spe- especially pernicious when applied to specialty pharmacies. Because the dollar, because the drugs are so expensive, and the margins are so thin, that when you get clobbered, you really get clobbered. Um, is that you want to comment on that? Is that true? Yeah. So I mean, a lot of these medications, they're
4: not cheap. I'd say they range anywhere from you know they can range anywhere from yeah a couple hundred bucks a month to very easily a lot of the newer ones five thousand dollars a month twenty thousand dollars a month. And then when you have to have a DIR fee that is anywhere uh, you know, from five to seven and a half percent, and we're even hearing, given my knowledge of what's going on in the entire in- oncology community across the country, when we're hearing of DIR fees approaching eight and 10%, that's a lot when you're talking about a drug that may cost $20,000 and some large practices may have hundreds of millions of dollars worth of volume going through. And a lot of these, most of these medications are for Medicare patients. The vast majority of cancer occurs in Medicare patients. And so that adds up quite quickly and it makes it very difficult because you get hit with these retrospectively. It makes it very difficult, if not impossible to try to plan and manage your business. You have to allocate and guess how much you have to set aside for these DR fees in advance. And you're right. These medications are expensive. We have to negotiate with the pharmaceutical companies to help give us off invoice discounts to cover these DIR fees. Otherwise, we can't. They want to keep the uh, practitioners open because we have these medically integrated pharmacies, and they know what works to serve the patients better with these complex medications. And so, yeah, they make these concessions, and they will give us these um, office invoice discounts to help cover for these, which is incorporated back into the gross cost of the drug. So it goes back to your point and everybody's point, the consumer, consumer ends up paying more for the medication because they're extracting more out for the DIR fees.
1: Can I ask you another quick question? Um, do you get the, Do you have any insight as to where the PBMs hit their own specialty pharmacy with the same DIR fees under the same... Contract structure as yours?
4: We we don't have that information. We I don't know. Maybe it is known. But some of the other things that the manufacturers are starting to do to avoid, um, you know, even having their drugs go to one of these PBM especially pharmacies, they are uh, they've been implementing something over the past several years uh, called uh, limited uh, distributions, and uh, they only will release the drugs to medically integrated pharmacies, i.e. Uh, medical oncology practices uh, that, have, uh, that dispense or that have their own commercial pharmacies or a limited number of specialty pharmacies that just don't, none of those happen to be owned by the pharmacy benefit manager. And so that's one of the things that they're doing to try to control some of the um, cost of the drug.
1: That's funny, because I heard of limited distribution in the reverse where they're only going to the PBM specialty pharmacies and the others are being cut out. You haven't heard of that?
4: Uh, I don't think we're experiencing that with the oncology medications. Who knows? That could be going on for a multitude of reasons, and we all know why that's probably going on. But I I don't think we see that. uh, with. We haven't seen that typically with our medications.
2: That that definitely happens in independent pharmacy. Um, Most of the plans will not let us fill any kind of specialty medication. Um, They all carve it out and send it to their own uh, providers.
3: Absolutely, and Dr. Diaz, the PQA entity that you mentioned earlier is the Pharmacy Quality Alliance. So again, they're supposed to be dedicated to improving medication safety adherence and things like that. And they clearly don't have all their ducks in a row if they don't have an idea on what's going on in oncology. And so, Byron, just switching gears a little bit. On a daily basis, I know that the independent pharmacy sees DIR fees a lot. They get those lump reimbursement statements that kind of tell what you're missing and uh, all of the different things that are being taken out. Like you mentioned earlier, it can be either a lump sum from Caremark, or it can be itemized deductions. You know, every week. No matter how it's taken out, it's always. Inconvenient, And like Dr. Diaz mentioned, it's hard to judge how much is going to be taken out whenever you're physically filling the prescription on Monday, you know, 90 days from now, you have no idea what percentage they're going to claw back from you. So why don't you tell our listeners who might not know what actually happens daily or even monthly with DIRs in the pharmacy?
2: Um, daily, um, prices are inflated to the patient. So patients are paying more up front um, on these uh, medications than they would have to. So um, what that does is it, number one, it makes it look like the pharmacy is actually making money. And number two, it costs the patient more. It pushes the patient from their initial Medicare coverage into the donut hole faster, which shifts more cost to the patient again, and decreases the cost to the PBM. And then when they get pushed into the catastrophic phase because of the higher prices, the government then picks up the bulk of the cost and the PBMs make even more money. And then the PBMs again, reach back into their bank accounts and take back as Dr. Diaz says, you know, we have no control over what kind of money they take. And and I call them the judge, jury, and the executioner. Um, They get to judge our performance. They um, determine whether we have performed well. And then they execute us by pulling so much money out of our accounts that it makes it hard to cash flow a business we, um, we don't have money to pay employees, we have to cut back. Um, we aren't able to um, participate and, and donate to community functions, which we've always done in the past. So it, it not only um, takes money away from our patients, it takes money away from our communities that we would be spending locally to keep things going. Um, The DIR fees, um, you really don't know how much they're going to take. Uh, The money just essentially disappears. And um, there are all different ways that they, different PBMs determine it. One one example is um, one PBM um, says, for you to not have DIRs taken back, um, you have to dispense 94% generics. And they know that's impossible. Um, our pharmacies dispense 90, 91% generics, and, and we dispense every generic we can. The only way you could possibly have a 94% generic dispensing rate is to not fill any of the brand name prescriptions. and then you're not taking care of your patients. Um, It's just very frustrating and um, it's one of the most unfair things in um, pharmacy. If, if, um, well, an an example, um, I have a friend that owns 14 pharmacies. Um, He's mentioned those same things, he's not able to, contribute to the community the way he usually does. His church um, suffers from his donations. His DIR fees last year were $1.35 million. My seven little pharmacies, they took back $264,000 from me. Um, And we have, you know, a a fairly high... um, Medicare D population in our small towns, um, that was about 5% of, of my gross, and 5% of my gross with the small margins we have puts me underwater. Um, these fees are
1: just horrible.
3: Absolutely, and so we've kind of talked about the problem with DIR fees and how it affects different areas of our industry, but One of the ways we really want to work on this podcast is how we can dispel some of the myths that the opposition talks about whenever they're talking to legislators or even their own clients. One of their number one myths about ending DIR fees is that it will cause Medicare premiums to rise. So, Dr. Diaz, I'll start with you. What do you think about that and what can our listeners say to politicians who might believe that?
4: Well, um, you know, that's a really difficult uh, question because there's so much lack of transparency, it's really impossible to predict realistically. I mean, if, um, you know, and it would even surprise me if they were to do with the RFEs. who knows if we would see a realistic or reasonable increase in premiums to the US government who knows if they're even real or not, whether they're just fictitious. I, I'll be quite frank with you. With what I've seen, it wouldn't surprise me uh, one way or another. Um, I, I think in the big picture, if I could have my cake and eat it, we would have the pharmacy benefit managers processing claims and that's it. And then I think you'd see a tremendous drop of costs and drugs. It would take some time, but I think you would see a tremendous uh, drop in cost of drugs. Um, we just don't have evidence that we can very you know they use uh, uh to sit there and and dispel any claims that's the frustrating side of it on our end to be quite frank with you but um you know i, I think that um, in the big picture of things um you know when you look at the increased cost that this is the system has to occur from this i, I just don't see how you know it, you you couldn't have an overall benefit with what we're seeing on our end. When I say benefit, benefit to the reduce of the gross cost of the drug.
3: Absolutely. All right, Mark, same question. How do you think, is it fear-mongering tactic that the PBMs are using to say that ending DIR fees will cause Medicare premiums to rise? What are your thoughts?
1: Well, um, I think th- I think, there's, there's two problems. One is uh, there is a tremendous problem with lack of transparency, but there, there's also, um, in, in my view, kind of a problem with the system. Let, let, let me just talk about rebates by analogy, because rebates have been around for a long time and they predated Medicare Part D. So let's assume um, the, the idea of health insurance, my understanding is, is that healthy people are supposed to subsidize the sick people. That's the way it's supposed to work. But I find this being back ass words uh, when it comes to pharmacy benefits. because so let's take two situations. Um, I'm a sick person, and I'm in my deductible period. Um, I've got a high deductible plan, and uh, you know, I just it has happened to me actually in January, I went to the st- drugstore and uh, five hundred and eighty six bucks. I'm out of pocket five hundred and eighty six bucks a 90 day supply of a certain drug, right? This was now let's assume that on oh, that $586, and I don't know this, but let's assume the PBM got a rebate of $200 off of that. All right? And let's assume the PBM put $100 in its pocket and used another $100 to to lower people's premiums. Okay? So I'm out $200 and the guy next to me saved $100 on his insurance premium. But basically I, I'm really not a sick person, but I the person taking the meds, am subsidizing the other person's insurance premium. But the big problem is there's no transparency. So we don't know where the money's going. We don't know how much the PBM is pocketing. They have all these different buckets they can put the money into. So what I really don't understand, I think I think Congress, to its credit, recently, the House Oversight Committee and the uh, Grassley-Wyden Committee actually subpoenaed mm-hmm. the PBMs and got some damning documents. What I don't understand is why the regulators don't subpoena. And what they need to do is a complete financial x-ray of these companies and where the money goes. Before you're going to swallow this propaganda hook, line, and sinker, uh, let's see what the facts are. Because
3: they're all hidden. Yeah, absolutely. And Byron, I've had the opportunity to be on a couple calls with legislators, with you, whenever we are trying to educate them on the DIR fees. So what would you like to say to some of the politicians who hear those PCMA myths all the time about DIR fees will continue to be in existence, whether they're called DIR fees or whether the PBM clients have to rename them and just push them onto pharmacies or patients anyway.
1: Okay,
2: Um, well, take a little different approach. Um, Historically, um, I guess the PCMA group can claim that um, DIR fees have helped keep uh, the premium to the patient down monthly. Um, That's kind of true. The premiums have stayed fairly steady and haven't had any great increases. The problem is the cost to the patient keeps going up, and the part of the benefit that the PBM pays keeps going down. So, you know, who's winning and who's losing in this situation? the PBMs are the winners, the consumers are losers, and the pharmacies, the providers are losers. So that, that's my take.
3: It is pushed a lot more to the consumer. I know with the deductibles changing and things like that, it, we have people come in the pharmacy all the time with questions. And I think that consumers, aka for the legislators listening, voters are starting to understand and they want to support local pharmacies they want to keep that service in their community so they're interested in engaging with us and learning what's going on so i think that having this discussion is very important right now to try to make sure that our legislators are educated and like you mentioned mark trying to get that financial x-ray and as much transparency into this process as we can possibly get I think mean, that's very needed and overdue.
0: And Lauren, I think it's it's important for people who are listening to understand that when we talk about these fees, you know, we are talking about fees that are generated at and regulated at "quote unquote" regulated at the federal level. So so very many of the victories that organizations have won, whether they're patient groups or their advocacy groups or their practices, like you know, like all of us here tonight in this on this podcast. The victories that we've won have largely happened at the state level. And that's important. And I think I think it's good that we continue, you know, to keep those conversations alive with our legislators. But at the federal level, it can be so frustrating because things move so slowly. NCPA and taking on this lawsuit, uh, they're taking it on at the federal level because that's where Medicare, uh, that's where Medicare is regulated at. It's it's at the federal level, and DIR fees are attached to, to Medicare. Um, but what they're talking about doing is they're talking about taking these fees now, and instead of having them be retroactive, having them be done at the point of sale. And there's a, there's been a lot of uh, you know criticism about that, and uh, and some concerns about you know what that's going to end up doing as far as whether it really solves the problem or not. I, I just would, I'd just love to know from the panelists tonight what your thoughts are as far as moving fees to the front. And I'm not asking it in terms of like, you know, you should tear it down. It's just more like, well, what are your thoughts? What would happen if these fees were moved from retroactive? So you, you don't know when they're coming and how much they're going to be to point of sale. What, what would that mean for you? Maybe Byron, since you... Uh you're, I imagine you would probably see that right up front. What are your thoughts? What do you think would happen?
2: Yeah, we have a very large Medicare uh, population. Moving the fees up front would reduce the cost to the patient. PBMs have already come out and threatened that if the DIR fees go away, they will um get more money back and a larger discount on the cost of the drug. PBMs seem to, whenever one of their cash flow lines disappears, they um, they just come up with another way to take money back from either the consumer, the government, the insurance companies, the providers. They, they just, they, they control the whole market. The government has allowed them to, vertically and horizontally integrate. Um, They now own uh, insurance companies. or insurance companies own them. Um, They own pharmacies. They've really consolidated to the point that three major PBMs control about 80% of the market. So Express Scripts, Caremark, and um, Optum there, there's no negotiating with these companies. Um, they just do pretty much whatever they want because they control so much of the market. You cannot not do business with them.
3: I know there's been some owners that have been a little nervous about what a point-of-sale move from retroactive to point-of-sale would do to their cash flow. I mean, right now, diaraphy fees being taken out 90 to 180 days later is awful, but a lot of owners are worried it would cripple them if it's taken out immediately. Or do they have the conversation with the patient and say, I'm sorry, I really can't afford to fill that. What would be, Dr. Diaz, what would you think in that situation? I mean, I know as a provider, you work technically for your patients. So how do you see that happening?
4: No, and that's a very fair question. I mean, overall, I would have to say our biggest concern uh, with all this. Yes, it, these DIR fees are uh, literally a huge, huge pain. But we're also really concerned about what's going on with the patients. Um, you know, uh, with our patients and the cost of these drugs, the amount of co-pays they have are just ridiculous. It's insane. Uh, the a, a vast majority of our patients possibly couldn't get them without copay assistance, which we all know is being taken advantage of by the PBMs also as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think that we would probably at least be able to run a stable business and pre- be able to predict our expenses. And yes, we would have patients that we would say, you know, hey, we we can't we can't fill this here. We cannot fill this medication here. It would give us uh, more stability, though, as far as being able to take care of our, uh, you know, run a business. I, I think it would help the patients out more as far as the co-pays are concerned, which is really getting as everybody's stated already it's probably one of the major issues the amount that the uh, public is paying co-pays for these drugs it's just it's 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 horrendous i think that we would be willing to accept that uh you know i I think there's other ways you can also approach things overall when it comes to regulations or laws or modifications of laws but i think that that would definitely be acceptable in our eyes overall because it would be better for the patients
3: I think the stability is definitely something that owners are looking for because the uncertainty of how much they're going to take is just so much of a risk. And uh, Mark, I'll pose this question to you. Uh, My father's a pharmacist, has been a pharmacist for 50 years. And he said recently, whenever we got our 2020 kind of DIR fee numbers, he said, I never thought as a business owner I would make more by not filling a prescription, not taking care of my patients. So, I mean, you're kind of a, I won't say an outsider in the industry, but as a non-pharmacist, non-provider, you really have turned into a champion for pharmacies because you've helped them in their fight in the courtroom. So what do you recommend?
1: Well, um, you know, when when this came up, when the last administration proposed requiring DIR fees at the point of sale, I thought it was a good thing for two reasons. One, PACPA was against it, the PBMs all fought it. And my perception was the reason they fought it was because if it was at, 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 the, at the point of sale, they'd have to pass it back to the consumer and couldn't get their sticky fingers on it. Um, now, people have correctly pointed out what they've said, and we've seen this in some contracts, I think some Express Scripts contracts, if DIR fees become illegal tomorrow, we're gonna to shift your whole fee schedule down. Now, here's the good thing about it. Like, it's not very, it's not good, but there is there is one good thing about it, which is at least you will have predictability and a little bit of transparency. The more, part of the problem is I I, I I ran a small business myself and it's not fun when you are have a payroll becoming due to have somebody take $20,000 out of your checking account. That's a real problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, and and you don't know how they got there, you don't know how they got there. So, let's say you have a contract that says you're going to get paid at a generic effective rate of AWP minus 88 percent. At least you know that's what it is. Um, you may not, you know, you may or may not be able to make a living on that. That's another issue, but at least you know that's that's what it is. Um, but you know. It, it's really a Hobson's choice. There's, there's no good answer. Well, I think overall,
2: the PBMs, as, as Dr. Diaz pointed out, um, they operate in a black box. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows where the money is going, except the PBMs. And they don't care about the patient. They don't care about the providers. They don't care if it costs the government or the insurance companies more. Um, These people are criminals. They are stealing from everybody they deal with and DIR fees just give them an opportunity to set the rules and reach into our accounts and pull money out. Um, DIR fees need to go away. That's not what they were initially set up for and these criminals shouldn't be allowed to continue doing what they're doing.
0: Yeah. And on that note, I'd like to ask a follow-up question as we you know, come to the end of our time together in this conversation, because, and, and my question is this, so we've talked about DIR fees and, and what would happen if they got moved to the point of sale and nobody, nobody should have to pay these extensive six and seven figure amounts to private organizations who may or may not be passing those dollars back to the federal government, at least in totality, so that they can be used as intended. We don't know because there's no transparency, but but taking a look at that and, and your, you know, really, I think, authentic and heartfelt answers to that and knowing that if they were to go away, the the PBMs would just find another way to take that same money from you. What do you think it's going to take to just eliminate these fees altogether, just, just to, to stop? As Byron, you just said, they, they were intended for a certain purpose. They're not being used for that purpose. They're being used for something else, right? What What do you think it would take to just to just make them go away? And, and, I, and you know, all three of you can answer, or one or two of you can answer, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are about that.
2: Well, the word transparency comes out and these companies should be audited. Um, they should not be allowed to hide DIR fees, rebates, you know, anything that is considered a DIR fee, all that needs to be out in the open. They are the drivers of inflated prices on brand name drugs because of all the rebate money that the brand name manufacturers have to pay these middlemen that really provide no service other than claims processing. They should be claims processors, period, and nothing else. They can charge for their service, all of these other smoke and mirror things that they do to pad their pockets with millions and billions of
4: dollars should be stopped. Dr. Diaz, what do you think? So, I mean, it depends on how you want to approach this. I mean, another way to approach this, and this is something that we're looking at, we've got legislation that's been drafted. We're going to be reintroduced. We've got a sponsor uh, on the uh, Republican side. We're getting a sponsor on the Dem side. And it would be a bill that would readdress these uh, direct and and indirect remuneration fees and that right now it's entirely a penalty and that's all that it is. There's no indication that it improves quality, which is what all that was intended to do. I don't think it was necessarily intended to just take money and, and, and just take money because that's all that's happening with it right now. So if you want to have this be a functional type of check and balance system so that you can incentivize quality, then you also have to reward quality with as much as you are penalizing for not meeting goals. The goals have to be specific, they have to be reasonable, they have to be measurable, and they have to be realistic and true goals, um, which we don't have right now. For example, in my profession, they would have to be specific. Okay, so not re- related to blood pressure medications or diabetes medications. And then I think that you would see, wow, if, if, if we're having to pay out as much as we are uh, collecting, they will probably disincentivize them from wanting to even spend the time and the resources for this effort. And that's one thing. Uh, But that's how you could truly improve the system for the patients. So it depends on the intent of this whole process. Are you trying to improve the system for the patient? Okay, then set up something that can improve the system for the patient. Otherwise, if you're not going to set that up, then, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they're taking money away from patients as a society, then I think we should demand full transparency on everything that they do so that we can ensure that it is going back to lower the premiums. That's my overall recommendation for that. And then we'll see, you know, hey. Hallelujah,
0: you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes, two thumbs the up. I'm yes. oh,
1: sorry. That's, there's a, $2 in DIR fees. $1 would be a penalty. Uh, on the bad pharmacy, and that dollar goes to the, as a reward to the good pharmacy. I'm being very simplistic, obviously, but that's how, that way they would have, PBM itself has no incentive to get enriched based on a bogus performance measure.
3: We've talked a lot about the federal government and politicians and the need for transparency and auditing, but what are kind of specific things, or I guess even just ideas that you have about to the federal government about DIR fees and where we should go? Should it be done through legislation? Should it be done through a rule by CMS? What do you see, Mark, I'm going to start with you, then Dr. Diaz, then Byron, so you can have a minute to think about it. But what do you think the best course forward or best way of action? Because there's some pharmacies that can't handle another decade of DIR fees, even another two years of DIR fees.
1: Ideally, legislation, if it could get through, because if you do it by regulation, they have to propose the rule. It's got to have a comment period. Then eventually the final rule gets issued, which is going to be watered down. Then that gets challenged in court. Uh, I think, you know, as as glacial as our legislative process is, if you could get a bill through Congress, be the quickest way to do it.
3: And there has been some bipartisan support. Like you mentioned, there was the Grassley-Wyden hearings. I know there's been several politicians on both sides of the aisle that really do understand this massive undertaking. Dr. Diaz, what is your recommendation for our friends at the federal government?
4: I think you take two paths. One is legislation, the other is regulatory. I think you need to go ahead and take both paths Take care of both of it at the same time, um, so that you know something will hopefully prevail when all is said and done. That'll benefit patients and society. Um, you know, I, I think that we need to keep our eyes open. You very well might see some movement on drug pricing reform this year after uh, COVID starts to calm down. It seems to be high on people's radar. Uh, they're still picking people and finalizing people in the different positions. So we really truly don't know what their agendas are, but it's felt that there is a lot of incentive to uh, start working on drug pricing reform. And trust me, uh, oncology medications are right in the crosshairs of all that. So I think you need to attack it on the regulatory side, and then you also need to have reform laws.
3: Absolutely, a belt and suspenders approach. I I like it. I think it's great. Byron, what about you? What is your uh, advice for the federal government and our federal legislators?
2: Okay, I agree with everything they've said. Um, Legislation has to be what um, sets up the rules and regulations for these um, PBMs with Medicare D, because it's a federal program. Um, They do have to be um, regulated, and they also need to be penalized when they don't follow the regulations. Because right now, they don't pay any attention to anything anybody does. They fight it all in court. Um, They just ignore it. They never get penalized. If they do get penalized, it's a little piddly amount that makes no difference at all to them. Um, From, If I can remember this from 2000 to 2014 or 15, I think, Caremark was fined like $1.8 billion in penalties over that period of time, allowed to continue to participate in all the networks and really didn't care. They just took more money back. It has to be something that hurts them.
3: A law that doesn't have the enforcement mechanism in place is worthless that's what we've seen on the state level. If there's no teeth to it, then there's no real way of making sure that those PBMs are held accountable. I totally agree. All right, now we're going to discuss final thoughts. Just make sure if there's anything that you want our listeners to know. Again, this podcast is available to pharmacists pharmacy staff owners legislators patients we get a variety of comments and questions so mark what would you like our listeners to know as your final thoughts
1: well at at this point i'm just going to repeat what other people have said there's one word to take away from this is transparency without trans we need transparency with transparency we can have accountability we have hundreds of billions of dollars going through the system and these folks have rigged the system and monopolized the information flow and hid the key facts, the point there is no accountability. So we have a public outcry about the high cost of drugs and it took literally a congressional investigation uh, into six, well, the insulin drugs, then the five of the highest over to show what's behind it. Now, we, they are to be commended. Every, every legislator, state and federal, who is interested in the high cost of drugs should read those reports and they you know it's a shame covid has, has has monopolized the media they should be on talk shows they should be on news shows there should be 60 minutes should do a thing about them it's unfortunate has not gotten the coverage it deserves
3: hopefully we can help facilitate that conversation and bring that to light dr diaz what are your final thoughts
4: um, i would have to say that we all have to be hopeful We have to be hopeful for patients. We have to be hopeful for society that we can manage to steer the ship around and to make change. We've got to work together. When I say together, pharmacists, providers, patients, we all have to work together because we're, this is one of the biggest Goliaths I think we've ever seen that we're against. And, you know, we're a mini David. Um, We don't have all the, the, the horsepower, all the dollars, all of the resources to be able to spend on, on, you know, as the they do. But we need to get this fixed. Otherwise, we are going to just completely turn all of our healthcare over to corporate entities that care about the dollar. Period. They do not take an oath. They have no dedication to the patient. They only have dedication to their shareholders and their own pocketbooks. We will just completely lose any humanity that we have in medicine and medical care um, if we don't fight this. And so we just have to keep on fighting, guys. That's all I can say.
3: Absolutely. Byron, your final thoughts.
4: Well, my message
2: would be to um, pharmacists and legislators, all providers, we all have to be politically active and trying to help our legislators understand this um, system that we have that's broken. Um, It needs major changes to fix it. Transparency is the key. And um, if we don't pick up the phone, make a phone call, spend some time discussing with legislators, trying to educate our patients as well, the corporate giants will win. We have to keep up the fight and um, and ask for our legislators to see the issues and, and do appropriate actions.
3: I couldn't agree more. And again, we've been talking a lot about the federal level because this is Part D, but I want our listeners to remember that there are plenty of patients that are dual eligible. They're Medicaid and Medicare patients. So there's definitely a local touch to this as well, because if the government's spending, you know, too much money trying to make sure the PBMs have their profits, then eventually they might cut part of that federal match for state Medicaid. So, this is definitely an issue that local legislators can help touch the federal legislators and push them towards the right thing to do in this instance. I want to thank everyone on our panel tonight for being with us, this has been so informative, and really educational. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Michael Diaz, I want to thank Mark Kuker and I want to thank Byron Barry for being with us, and we will definitely be continuing this conversation in future episodes. I do suggest our listeners look up these individuals on social media, so I know we'll tag them when we post this podcast because you guys share a lot of great information out there that our patients and other owners deserve to know. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know and please share it with your patients and your legislators. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on the next podcast.